I've titled the message today, Everlasting Love. There you go, Everlasting Love. Everlasting Love. Our key scripture is found in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. If you'll turn there with me quickly, or you can watch on the screens, we'll have it for you. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 says it like this. It says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Father, I pray that over the next couple of minutes, Lord, that you would begin to reconfirm your love for us. That, Lord God, that you would break off of us strongholds of the mind, misappropriations of understanding of who you are. And that, Lord God, that we could walk out of this place today understanding that you love us with an everlasting love. Not a performance love, not a love that's based on bias or a love that's based on uh, what we do or don't do right, but a love that's everlasting to everlasting in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So when it says everlasting love, I started, you know, looking, you know, digging into that with my thoughts. And I thought, what kind of love never stops? What kind of love doesn't have a start date and an end date to it? It's a love that only God the Father can have, right? And uh, those of us that have been through divorces or those of us that have had breakups over the years or those of us who've had children that, that we've become, you know, uh, broken relationships with, God doesn't see it like that. He sees us as loving us with an everlasting love. There's a love that has no boundaries. This everlasting love has no boundaries. In other words, you can't draw a line and say it stops here. It stops when you, it's, I, I don't love you when you finally done this or when you go ahead and do that. It's an everlasting love. And I know that today I'm going to be messing with your doctrine and that's the goal of today's message. I know that I'm going to be messing with your concepts of who you are and your relationship with Jesus. But I want you to understand something. And that is that Christianity is not about coming to services and singing songs and reading uh, pages of scripture. Christianity it's about being best friends with the creator of your life. About being uh, close contact in a real relationship with the one who loves you and who ordains you and puts your life into motion. About coming back and being in a real and sincere relationship with the king of glory. And this is what it looks like. And so for you and I, when we look at relationships and try to connect what love looks like, we base most of our thought processes of love on human relationships. And I would challenge you today to say to you that, the way God loves you is not the way anyone else could ever love you because of their human frailty. And that the love of a father is what I believe is the missing element in our generation today. And it's what's brought such confusion. In fact, I'm convinced that when you don't know the love of the father that you begin to look for love somewhere else. I'm convinced that the affirmation of God the father, what it does is secures our soul to himself. And that fact that the word of God says that, that he loved us while we were yet sinners, that we didn't seek after him but he sought after us he loved us with an everlasting love and I'll give you a couple symptoms of a lack of affirmation of God's love here's a few symptoms that I've noticed and I think are biblically accurate when it comes to the love of the father and people not understanding that affirmation of love what happens is they begin to have some symptoms and the first symptom that I've noticed is sensuality they begin to search after love and sexual relationships and so that's why things have gotten so have become so perverted over the years is because because we're looking for love and all the wrong places. And the reason why we're doing that is because we don't understand the depth of the love of the Father. We don't have that affirming love. And when you're not affirmed, you keep looking for something 
else. And the problem with most people that I have met over the years that have sexual addictions or sexual uh, uh, deviant behavior, it comes down always, it always comes down to them looking for love and trying to define it in a generation that has become sensual. Do you know this? That, uh, you know, this whole sensuality love thing started, in my opinion, back in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the, uh, there's an there's a area in Florida called The Village. It's got over 100,000 100, retirees live in The Village. And they have the highest case per capita of sexually transmitted disease than anywhere else in the nation. What you've got is a generation that was trying to find love through sexuality and they're still trying to find it. And now all of a sudden they're dying and getting older, but they continue to try to find it in that. Why? Because they don't know the affirming love of God the Father. And when you don't know the affirming love of God the Father, you start chasing skirts. You start going from bed to bed. You start trying all kinds of deviant sexual behavior. Why? Because you just want to be affirmed that life is good and that there's someone who actually loves you for you. And so that's why God bless all of my friends who have same-sex attractions, but many of those guys have said, look, look, uh, the opposite sex doesn't love me, but at least the same sex loves me. And so they find that, uh, if you will, an attempted affirmation. And even that, though, ends many times in disappointment. Why? Because at the end of the day, the only one who can confirm you and affirm you is the one who created you. The only one who can bring satisfaction to the longing of love inside of you is the one who created love and knows what love is. And here's the second symptom of, of, of our society and those who don't understand the affirming love of God, and that is insecurity. I find folks so many times that are deeply insecure, they just, they just, they don't know who they are in God. Their identity is so skewed. And many times it's based on a love factor that they, the way they were raised. If they were good, then they were extended love. If they were bad, then love was extracted from them by their parents, by their grandparents, by whoever they were wanting to please. And in that process, they got a warp, warped sense of love that my love is received from someone else when I do good. Friend, God says, I love you with an everlasting love. It's a love that has no boundaries. It's a love that you cannot buy, you cannot perform for. Stay with me. That you cannot make happen in and of your own strength the love of God is poured out upon us because he first loved us while we were yet sinners he still loved us isn't that good say yes here's the third symptom of a lack of affirming uh, affirming of God's love and that is pride the third symptom is pride. So you see these folks who are egotistical. You see these people who are narcissistic. You see people who are difficult to deal with and they won't repent. They won't say they're sorry. It is the way that they defend themselves against the fear of their heart and the lack of love and the lack of security that they feel on the inside. And so they act out in pride and arrogance. And it's only because they don't know the love of the Father. And when you and I don't know the love of the Father, we see these symptoms pretty prevalent in our life. So you keep trying to stop being sexually deviant. You keep trying to start being humble. You keep trying to not be insecure. And in your own strength, you keep trying to do this and it's not working. What you have to do is stop and say, who am I and whose am I? And who loves me more than anyone else could ever love me? And the Bible calls his name Jehovah God, Father God, our daddy. Are you there? Say yes. Woo, you can do better than that. Say yes. This weekend I was preaching in upstate New York, so as I was flying into that area in Rochester, I was seated next to a young man, 28 years old, and uh, he sat down, he walked in, he's, he's a white guy, um, and I told him to his face, I said, dude, 
Uh, you remind me of Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> a couple of y'all know what I'm talking about. The rest of you have no idea. So, so this dude had his britches all the way down to here. He had his headphones, you know, all like this and stuff. And uh, he, he just had his gold teeth removed. And so he's sitting there, yeah, dog, what's up? You know, how you doing? All right, all right, all right. And so he's sitting next to me. And, and so I, I'm trying to prepare for my messages. I was going to spend this time praying at 30,000 feet. That's really when you get close to God, right? And so I'm just going to try to see. And, and, man, all of a sudden, he sees what I'm typing. I'm working on some scriptures. And he goes, man, man, that's, that's legit, man. What you, what you doing? And so I was like, dog, I got to minister to another one. All right, so listen. And so we get, to, we get to talking, and you know what? He starts telling me a story. I said, I said, so what are you going to Rochester for? He says, man, my dad's having triple bypass surgery, and this might be the last time I ever see him. I said, dude, that's awesome. He, I said, where do you live? He goes, I live in L.A. I said, dude, you're flying all the way to L.A. to see your dad, man. You must really love your dad. He must really love you. He goes, nope. I said, what? He said, man, when I was two years old, man, my pops, he like abandoned us because he was hooking up with this other girl. And so he got her pregnant, and so he took off with her. And my mom's, man, my mom's, like, makes lots of money in business and stuff. Like, she's always like, whose kid are you? Because, you know, I'm like, you know, how I is, you know what I'm saying? And so he's doing all that, you know. And I was like, okay. And, um, and so he pulled that out of me, you know, because I'm from the hood, too. I was like, dude, I know exactly what you're saying, dog. I'm telling you right. Like, man, shoot, it, it was hard up in that, in that cedar hurl where I'm at, you know what I'm saying? And so I just, you know, I had to bring that out for him a little bit. And, uh, and so, we, so he started telling me the storyline of his dad walking up. Now, he was a good athlete, he said. He said, but by the time he was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, dad was nowhere to be found, didn't want to talk to him, had this other kid basically abandon him. And he said, and I started going crazy, man. He said, I, he said, I could have had football scholarships in high school. I played three years of high school ball, but it was too late at 13. He said, I started doing drugs. I started running with gangs. I started shooting at people. He said, I started stealing cars. And I went in and out of juvie for the next three or four years. He said, and then what happened was I was 18 years old. And, uh, and I got out of a juvie. You know, I'd been there for a couple years. Got out of this juvie deal and, uh, and did another robbery, man. And I was going to go be facing some time. And uh, this lady that I knew who was in California called me up and said, listen, you need a fresh start. I'm going to let you come live with me. And this is going to be your last chance before your life is forever destroyed. And he said, it's the first time somebody loved me like they should. And I packed up and I went to L.A. and I've been living there ever since. He said, I got a little girl. My ex and I, we share her 50%. He went into the whole storyline of what I hear a lot of times. You know what this all was rooted in? He just wanted dad to tell him he was good. He just wanted a father to say, dude, you can do this. He just needed affirmation. But here's the deal. Earthly fathers cannot give us with what only God the Father can give us. Because, see, I was praying about that years ago, and I was like, God, I just want somebody to tell me I'm doing good. And he said, Adam, let me explain something to you. When other people tell you you're doing good and pat you on the back, he said, that builds, that builds pride. He said, but when I tell you, the king of glory tells you you're doing good and you're on the right pace, that builds confidence. Son, you don't want pride. You want confidence. And that comes from being affirmed by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, Jesus needed affirmation. Affirmation. Can you believe that? The Messiah needed affirmation. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Two times in Scripture, 
when Jesus was on the planet, the Gospels record two times that God stopped everything and the Father spoke out, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. It was at the start of Jesus' ministry when he was 30 years old as John the Baptist is baptizing him and he brings him up out of the water. The Bible says that the clouds rip open, the form of a dove comes and lands upon him and a voice out of heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Come on somebody, Jesus himself, though he be the Messiah, though he be 100% God, he still was 100% man and that 100% man needed the affirmation that God the Father was pleased with him. And from there we see him start the ministry. And no matter what anybody said, you ain't the Messiah. I only do what my Father says for me to do, so I don't really care what you think. What? Wait a minute. You can't do this. Well, let me lay hands on him and get him healed. Whoa. How'd you do that? I only do what I hear the Father say and I only do what the Father tells me to do. Why? Because he had an affirmation that he belonged to the Father and that the Father was well pleased. We see a second instant towards the end of his ministry and the Bible calls it the transfer. Uh, transfiguration of Christ. And let's look at that for just a moment in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. It is church. I'm going to read some scripture, if that's all right with you Christians. And so I know a lot of churches don't do that, but we do. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 17 of the book of Matthew, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up on, the high, up on a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2, <clears throat> And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it, it, is good, for us, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make the three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. And verse 8, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So Jesus takes his bros and he takes the top three bros of his, of his, of his little posse and they go up the mountain. And they get up at the top of this mountain, and I'm sure those dudes are like, we're going to just sit right here for a second, Jesus. He's like, all right, y'all go ahead. So he goes over, and he's praying, oh, la, 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 la. I don't know, he's going to be standing there. And all of a sudden, the Bible says he becomes transfigured. What that means is light begins to come out of his body. His body is transfigured. Light begins to shine through his clothes. He becomes probably like an opaque, uh, opaque, just this bright, shining light. You probably can't see his features as the light is just beaming out of him. And so can you imagine they're like, no. And he's when all of a sudden up up appears Moses and Elijah and Jesus starts talking to him. All right, dudes, now listen, now we got just a few more weeks of this stuff left. And he starts interacting with them, that kind of thing. And Peter, who's always the big mouth, goes, um, excuse me, <laughs> Jesus, uh, it, it's, it's really good that we're here because we can build like these little shed tabernacle things and, and get y'all out, out of the, everybody can see and get you down in this thing. And we can have a little worship session or something like that. We can sing, you know, some kumbaya or something and the moment that he finishes that statement everything stops pa-pow and a voice out of heaven speaks and says this is my son whom I'm well pleased my beloved listen to him and in that moment as they, they fall down on their face and all of a sudden they just, they're scared to death we're gonna die God just talked nobody talks to God and lives and we're gonna die we're gonna die and then Jesus taps him on the shoulders and says hey guys let's go 
And they look up and it's all over. It's gone. Now, scholars believe that this whole interaction had some real significance. In fact, it's real significant for our faith because it proves that Jesus was the Messiah. And the reason why it proves that Jesus was the Messiah because the Bible says that the Messiah would fulfill the law of Moses and would fulfill the prophecies of the prophets. Well, Jewish, uh, Jewish thought process was that Moses was the lawgiver. Of course, God gave it to him. He gave it to the people. So for Moses to be standing there is proof that Jesus fulfilled the law. And then Elijah was considered, out of all the prophets, the chief of all the prophets in Jewish history. And for Elijah to be standing there, it is proof that Jesus is fulfilling all the prophecies. So he's got Moses fulfilling the law. He's, got, he's standing there with him, and he's fulfilling all of those requirements. He's standing there with the prophet, the chief prophet, and fulfilling all those. So for these little Hebrew boys, they're like, Zang, this is legit, this really happened. But if that wasn't enough confirmation that he was the Messiah, heaven stops, er, the world stops spinning. I don't think it did, but still. Er, everything stops, and the clouds rip open, and God confirms and affirms, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Can I explain something to you? If Jesus needed the affirmation of the love of the Father, you need the affirmation of the love of the Father. If Jesus could not accomplish going to the cross and changing the world, you cannot get up every day and go to work without the affirmation of the love of the Father. If you don't know whose you are, if you don't know whose love you're seeking after, if you don't know who loves you with an everlasting love, then you'll constantly be looking for love in all the wrong places. You'll constantly be doing this. Why? Because you don't know. That God the Father loves you with an everlasting love. And some of you have strongholds of the mind. Some of you mature Christians, you're still trying to perform and gain favor with the Lord. You think if you pray more than everybody else, then he'll love you more than everybody else. I've heard, I've heard preachers preach that if you'll intercede more, then he'll show up more. And that is based on a fouled principle that by somehow doing works... And showing that I love him more than everybody's showing, that he then will respond to that with a greater love. Friend, can I tell you something? He loves you. And yes, those who are obedient receive the favor of obedience. But friend, at the end of the day, we are his sons and his daughters. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Whether you're an idiot or whether you're the brightest. Whether you you love your kids all the same. With an everlasting love. Love And if you don't get a hold of that, then you'll constantly be striving for his approval and never, ever be enough for you. I believe firmly when the scripture says that I am a joint heir with Christ. Everybody understands that? In other words, Jesus Christ is the first, the Bible says, of our family. He is the head of the family of Christians. And that I have been grafted in. I have been accepted by grace. I get to be a part of it, not because of what I've done, but because of what he did. And I have accepted that and come under that. So I am a joint heir with Christ. In other words, he's like my big brother, and I get the same benefits as a child that Jesus gets. And so when these scriptures are pointing out the affirmation that God the Father gives to Jesus, I believe that we can receive those same affirmations as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So these same passages can apply to us and his love for us. So that passage that we just read where God speaks out is actually God twice in scripture is speaking out what the prophet Isaiah spoke out which Jesus qualifies in Matthew chapter 12 and let's read it in verse 18 it says behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved and who my soul is well pleased friend can I tell you something he speaks that over you today 
You are his servant, his chosen one, his beloved in whom he's well pleased. And the desire of the Father and the desire of my heart with this message is to liberate you today, to set you free from the thought process that you've got to perform for his love, you've got to be good for his love. Friend, he loves you with an everlasting love. And I know you don't quite get that because anyone else maybe in your life that's loved you has loved you with just simply a temporary love or with just simply a certain boundary level love. But God loves you with no boundaries and everlasting love. And so you have to grasp this today. And so I want to take you into three things the Lord wants you to know from this passage. Three things. Number one, that you got to know he has chosen you. Number one, he has chosen you. He picked you. He picked you. You said, that can't be the case because he'd have never picked me. I'll tell you that right now. I'm wicked. Nope, that's not true. He picked you. He chose you. You are his. You may think that you're a nobody, but he says that you're a new creation in Christ and that old things pass away. I grew up in a church where my senior pastor, he didn't really hire too many people. They just kind of came up in the ranks. But when I was a young person, we didn't have a youth pastor. And my senior pastor met this guy that he just completely fell in love with. He was so impressed with him. His name was Rick Bezet. And he decided he was going to get Rick Bezet on his team. And, man, he chased after Pastor Rick until he hired him. And Pastor Rick became my youth pastor, and he was amazing. And Pastor Rick was the cool. He's still my pastor today. Pastor Rick was just phenomenal, just a great leader in all capacities, great lover of Jesus, just phenomenal good home life, great preacher, and just our youth group just exploded, and our pastor did good by hiring him. He picked him. He chased after him until he got him to say yes and hired him on staff. Well, after a number of years, Pastor Rick being the youth pastor, he decided, I don't want to be the youth pastor anymore. I want to be an associate pastor. I don't want to do youth anymore. And so what he did was he, he picked me to replace him, but our senior pastor inherited me. He picked Pastor Rick, but he inherited me. And for the livelihood of my time in that position, every day I had to prove myself. Every day, things that I did, that Pastor Rick had done, I would get in trouble for, but he never did back in the day. Why? Because Pastor had picked him, but he inherited me. Some of you think that God has inherited you, that you're just kind of with the deal because you married a woman who loves Jesus and he's got to take you because you're her husband. I think you need to understand something. Just because your mom and daddy were Christians doesn't mean that God inherited you because, you know, you grew up in church. No, no. God picked you. You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to act good or bad or ugly. He picked you because he wants you on his team. Listen, he loves you. 1 John 3, 1 says it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you and me, on us, that we should be called children of God. He called us children. If Jesus is the son of God and we're the children of God, then guess what we are? Joint heirs with Jesus. So what applied to him can apply to us. He picked you. He looks out and speaks over you. You are my chosen one. I love you with an everlasting love. He picked you. I had the hardest time with some insecurity. You know, you've heard me tell a story. My mom got pregnant as a teenager with me and and so there was this deep-rooted, you know, kind of, I wasn't really expected to be here. And it was, it was subtle, and, but it, it kind of motivated me in some of the stupidity that I lived in and walked in. And when I came across Ephesians 1-4, before the foundations of the earth, God picked you. It sat down deep in my heart. I went, wait a minute. 
I'm not an accident. God got me here. It wouldn't have mattered if, 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 if my mom had been raped. It wouldn't have mattered, it, it wouldn't have mattered if, if it was an accident or on purpose or not. He planned for me to be alive right here, right now. I could have been born in the 1800s. I could have been wearing them little wig things and riding on horses everywhere. But God picked me for such a time as this. you got to get this. He picked you. Say, I'm not very good, Pastor. That's your problem. You don't believe that he loves you with an everlasting love. And I'm trying to destroy your unbelief today. I'm trying to get you to see what he says over us as children of the Most High God. He picked you. Say it with me. He picked me. Say it again. He picked me. You're significant to him. Do you understand that? You belong to him. And because you belong to him, guess what that means? It gives you value. Do you understand that? Who you belong to gives you your value. It gives you your value. Who you belong to gives you your value. You think about that. Years ago, years and years ago, y'all remember that guy who owned Microsoft? Anybody remember? Bill Gates, you remember that guy? Well, I remember when he was the richest man in the world. And I remember when, I think it was Forbes magazine, put out an article. Top five families in the world to potentially get their kids kidnapped. And he was number one. He was worth, you know, how many trillions or whatever. Has his own islands and blah, 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 blah. And I'll never forget they put that article out. And their whole article was, if Bill Gates is worth, let's say, I'm guessing, let's just make up a number. If he's worth three trillion and someone could kidnap his kids, how much would he be willing to pay to get his kids back of his three trillion? What security personnel would not be tempted with multiple trillions of dollars. On his own detail. How does he know that his guys won't turn on. How much money would he have to pay them. To keep them from turning on him. To get a hold of his other money. Because they could just turn their back. Those kids had never been to Disney World by themselves. I mean uh, in, in public. They've never been out in public. Without gar- uh, armed guards all around them. Those kids have not lived a normal life. And the article was just talking about. How miserable and miserable these poor little kids are. It was in that time. That he, Bill Gates began giving all his money away. If you, if you lived in that era. He started donating it all and, you know, being philanthropic and giving it all away, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because here's the deal. Who you belong to is who is what gives you value. I want you to understand, if, any, if the devil was going to kidnap anybody, it'd be you. Because you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you're the most valuable thing to God the Father. And that's why the devil's always tempting you, trying to get you away from God the Father. Always trying to get you back. Because he knows the links that God would go to for you. He knows the difficulty of God's broken heart when you walk away from him and chase after sin and temptation. He knows how much it angers and frustrates God because God picked you. You're his, and he loves you. Say it with me, with an everlasting love. Here's a second truth you need to know, and that is you are his beloved child. You are his beloved child. Say that with me. I am his beloved child. Say it one more time like you mean it. I am his beloved child. We'll say it long enough, you might get it. Some of you think you're his bad child. Some of you think that you're the only child that's obedient. (laughs) Some of you have convinced yourself that you're the child trying to keep up with all the other children. Some of you look at me and say, I'm the better child, and and that's why God loves me more and does more things in my life. That's not true at all. You've lied to yourself. You are his beloved. I know we don't use that word in our modern English language very much, beloved. Beloved. You don't go around and say, thank you, my beloved. 
It only trips me out when, when, when churches sing it. You know, it's like, you are my beloved. I'm like, what does that mean? But there's a depth to that word. There's an intensity to that word. See, you're not his project. You're what he comes home to after his projects. You're what he's rushing to get home to in spite of his projects. You are his beloved. I, we couldn't have kids for the early part of our marriage. And some of you heard our testimony. We went to a service similar to this. And the guy preaching stopped, pointed towards the back and said, whatever he's preaching on. He said, if you need a healing, you just need to take it. And immediately my wife was healed. And, uh, and, and within months we conceived and, and, uh, and went full term with Cohen Michael McCain. And Jamie gave birth to him. And we were, you know, we were brand new parents. And, and he, had, he was real colicky the first few months of his, his existence on the planet. And so Jamie was constantly not getting any sleep. He's con- everyone was aggravated, this whole trying to keep him settled and, and so forth and so on. And every now and then, she would get him down. And when she would get him down to sleep, she would just pass out. And I, many times, once she was asleep, I would go and I would just sit. And I'd stare down into that crib. I was like, that's my boy. That's my son. He's going to change the world. You're going to be the smartest kid on the planet. Thank God for your mom. You're going to have great personality. Thank God for your dad. You're not going to be too tall, but we're going to pray against it. And I would just sit and stare at him. I just loved this kid. He didn't benefit me one bit. He made my life miserable. He pooped everywhere in the wrong moments. Right as we get out of church, I mean, right as we go and get out of the car and go into church, he just fill it right down the leg. I mean, and she's crying. I'm upset, you know, and, and just he didn't benefit me from that perspective, but I loved him. Why did I love him? Not for what he did or didn't do for me. Why did I love him? Because he was mine. Because he's mine. He looked like me. He's mine. And I would just stare at him and just, I mean, just. And to this day, man, I'll catch myself. He does stuff, and I'm just like, man, dude, I love you, man. I love you. Now, one of my best friends is John Hunter, Pastor John Hunter. He was in first service. Can you imagine me and John Hunter? John, dude. You'd be like, we got to cast the devil out of that man right there. Because that doesn't work, right? Why? Because he's, he's not my son. He's my friend. You, listen, you're his beloved he doesn't put up with you. He picked you. And he enjoys you. He said, oh, pastor, he doesn't enjoy me. I, I make so many mistakes, friend. That's the beauty of having God as our father, is that he's big enough to overcome our mistakes. And he's strong enough to love us in spite of us. Come on now. Because while we were yet sinners, he loved us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Here, here's what most of you don't grasp. And let's, let's go to the third point, and I'll help you with this. Here's the third thing you need to understand, and that is he is well pleased with you. Half of the people in this room do not believe that. You do not believe that he's pleased with you. You think if you can just do this a little better and a little more, he'll be pleased with you. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, that applies to Jesus, not to me. No, you don't understand the nature and character of God, and that's what I'm trying to break the strongholds off of your mind. He's pleased with you. He said, well, he can't be because I sin. Well, let me, 
take you to the passage of Scripture that probably is where you get some of that thinking. And let me set it a little bit better in order. And that's found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Bear with me and I'll explain it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So some of you have this concept that I, because I still sin and I, and I still have some problems with sin, that means I don't love God. And this scripture proves it, Pastor. See, that proves the way I feel and the way I see it. See, I'm accurate. No, no, no. You misappropriate the scripture. This scripture is not trying to tell you because you still love the things of the world that he doesn't love you. What this passage is trying to teach you is that if you would get so filled with the affirmation and the love of God that the love of the world will not have any precedence in your life. Sin won't mean as much. It won't have any as much value. You. And what you've got to do is go after the love of Father. What you've got to do is throw yourself into his loving arms in spite of your ability to live right or live bad or live good or whatever. And just say, God, I avail myself to you. Love me, Daddy, as the kid that I am with all my break, broken spots, with all my good spots. Lord, just love me as I am. And he embraces us. And that love causes us no longer to crave the lustfulness, the pridefulness, and the things or the love of this world. It breaks it off of us. And when I I see people with sin habits and they keep going to therapists and they keep trying to get these people to help them. It always comes down to they don't know that they are affirmed and loved by God. That he is pleased with them, not because of what they do or don't do, but because they are his. And so what we do is we get tempted back into the things of this world and we walk away from the love of the Father and we start criticizing ourselves, criticizing others, bad-mouthing ourselves and saying, I can't do it, I can't be good enough and we walk back into the love that's easy, the love of the sin of this world. Friend, can I tell you, it's so easy for me to serve God because I just wrap myself in his love. And every time I mess up, I say, I'm sorry. And he goes, oh, that's okay. Wop, wop, don't do it again. All right, come here. Why? Because he disciplines those he loves. So you think that discipline means he doesn't love you. That is ludicrous. Because you have a worldly concept of love instead of a God concept of love, the creator of love. My daughter plays on a softball team and a couple of the girls in the church are on the team. And so I ended up kind of being a helper coach. You know, I'm not the lead coach or anything like that, just kind of helper coach. And and so she decided that she wanted to play, she wanted to play catcher. And so, to be completely honest with you, she was not good at catching. And, um, but she wanted to be a catcher. And so she played a couple games as catcher, and she didn't do that good. And she tried real hard, but she just didn't do that good. And so, and so uh, the coach looked at me like, what, you know, you're going to have to do something. So I said, well, can I borrow all the catching equipment, and I'll, and I'll teach her myself. Because I had played catcher, you know, back in the day when I played baseball. And she said, yeah, take this stuff. So I took her home and put all the catching gear on her and that kind of stuff. And I promise you, you guys would have been calling CPS on me, I'm telling you right now. Because I got this 10-year-old, you know, out in the field, and, and I'm pitching to her, and she's doing this, and, and she's doing this, and she's turning her head like that. And it's the same thing I did when I was young. And, uh, and so I just did what my coach did with me. I said, okay, lay down on the ground. And she's like, what? What? So I lay her down on the ground. I start throwing the ball into the mask. Well, pow. And she's, ah! 
<laughs> and she starts losing it. <laughs> and so I'm throwing the ball. She's, I'm like, why are you scared? You got a mask. <laughs> so finally, you know, I do that for about 10 balls. Then pick her up, praying tongues over her, hold her. Love you, baby. It's all right. Okay, okay. She settled down. Lay back down. Let's do it again until we break fear. Because God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Whatever you're fear, fearful of came from the pits of hell. It should not be controlling your life. I'm not going to let my little girl be controlled by fear and miss out on the dreams of her heart. So we're pushing against it. We're pushing. She got a daddy who loves her, even though she doesn't perceive this as love. But she's mine. And I'd be doggone if she wants to do it if I'm going to let her be a failure. And I kept asking, why do this? Just play second base. You don't have to do all this. You don't like, you don't catch. You can't catch the ball doing this. It's called a catcher because they can catch. If you don't want to learn to catch, you're scared to play right field. They're not going to hit it out there anyway. Just... You know, just, and she's like, no, I want to be a catcher. And then, of course, we've got our little thing. Who are we? McCain's. And we never quit. So I made her say that about 100 times. We went back and forth, back and forth. Bam, by the end of that first day, she got great at it. She wasn't turning her head. She was getting better and better and better. And then we had, a couple days later, we had a game that she was going to get to be the catcher. So that day, she got home from school. I was like, put your catcher gear on. She's like, ah. Come on, you got kids. So I got her out in the yard, and I started pitching to her, and she was back to the old habits, doing all this. But this time, the neighbor is on his trampoline. His little boys are all out playing, and they're all really good baseball players. And they're like, Addie, you got to do this, and you got to do this. And she's like, <sighs> and she's embarrassed. And so she's not listening or paying attention. And I'm back and forth for about 15, 20 minutes. And finally, I just go, look, you don't want to do this. And you are wasting my time. Okay? And so you know what? Since you don't really want to do this, and you I'm not going to waste my time on you. I'm going to go inside and watch TV, and you can just figure it out. And she starts crying. <sighs> I'm like, are you ready now? Yeah, I'll try again. Okay. And we do it for another five minutes. She's half trying. She's worried about what these kids over here are thinking and saying. And so I'm like, listen, I am not going to waste my time with you. Do you want to do this or not? <sighs> and, then, and so finally I'm like, why are you crying? And she says to me, because I don't want you to be mad at me. She just wanted dad to affirm her. See, I'm a frail human, at times not so good dad. But God the Father doesn't ever give you the stinky face. Oh, really? So you're going to do it again, huh? <laughs> Jesus, you're going to have to deal with him because I ain't dealing with this mess. She ain't nothing but a devil. I don't even know why we let her in the family. He don't do that. I know that's what your frail uh, human fathers and mothers may have done to you. And your boss or that, that, that man or woman who was a mentor back in junior high or high school to or that teacher in second grade. I know that that's what they did to somehow motivate you. But God is well pleased with you. Even when you make a mistake, he's like, baby boy, that's okay. You got this. Come on now. Wah, wah. Don't do that again. Now let's do it again. Come on. I am well pleased, he says. And if you don't hear that in the back of your mind and in your heart every morning when you wake up, then you will constantly be striving in the flesh to somehow get God to like you and to love you because you haven't just settled in and said he loves me with an everlasting love. He loves me and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate me. And some of you are battling that. And even today, I knew I was going after the big demon over your brain and over your mind, the way you were raised and the way you perceived God the Father. But he says... He loves you with an everlasting love. 
But what many of you see is the face of disappointment. Because that's the face you give yourself because you failed or you didn't do good. Because that's the face that haunts you from second grade or from fourth grade or from your father as he drove off down the driveway never to come back. It's a face. Why? Because we all need affirmation. And when we don't have affirmation, we go looking for it in so many other ways. But today should be a day of deliverance. You should see in the spirit room, you should see in your heart of hearts that God the Father looks at you and says, that's my girl. I'm well pleased. That's my boy. He's mine. And I'm well pleased. Say, oh, but I don't do right all the time. It don't matter. You're his. And the more you allow his love to permeate your heart, and the more you let him affirm you, the less the sin and the stupidity of sin will have a temptation for you. It won't even satisfy you. You won't even enjoy it anymore because you found affirmation in the love of the Father. For he loves us with an everlasting love. Say it with me. For he loves us everlasting love. Would you stand with me all across the room? God, I pray that today would be significant for men and women in this congregation. They get delivered from somehow striving for your love and your acceptance. I want you to close your eyes with me around the room. Bow your heads for a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord. I want you to ask him, say, Lord, would you help me to understand your love for me? I know you Many of us don't have a good point of reference from other humans on what an affirming, everlasting love can be like. I've been blessed because my mom and dad love me with an everlasting love. My wife loves me with an everlasting love. And not all of you have had spouses that have done that. They loved you with a, with a limited love. When you cross that boundary, they stop loving you, stop affirming you. Some of you go home every day to a person who doesn't affirm you. Some of you go to work with people who compete with you and don't affirm you. And when you're not affirmed, you strive, you compete, you walk in insecurity, you're tempted beyond everyone else with perversion and try to find that affirmation in sexuality. Before you know it, you're eat up with pride and you can't even ask for help. I tell you today, the Lord wants to affirm you. He wants you to hear. Every morning when you wake up, I love you with an everlasting love. He wants you to hear, you are my son. You're my daughter. I picked you. You're my beloved, and I'm well pleased. Today, with your head bowed and your eye closed, you need to ask the Lord to help you and set you free from the thoughts that you're not pleasing. Set you free from the images of your mind that you're a disappointment deliver you from the love of the things of this world to where you can't embrace the love of the Father. And I want you today, with your head bowed, your eye closed, I want you to picture yourself in your mind running up to Father God, jumping into his arms and squeezing his neck like a three-year-old, holding on to him and saying, Daddy, I accept your love for me. I need you right here and right now to stop trying to perform for his approval. You already have his approval. I need you here and now to get delivered be set free. Just completely let go of the thought processes that you'll never be good enough. And just be you. Because he made you. He picked you so you're perfect. So I'm not like so and so. Thank God. 
If I don't do like so-and-so does, thank God he made you perfect for what you're supposed to be. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that the affirmation that so many men and women who call you Father need, I pray that they would hear past the lies that they're not good enough, that they didn't perform enough. Pray that they hear past the misappropriated sermons of the past by others who told them they had to perform for your love. They had to be good. And if they weren't good, then therefore they were bad. If they were bad, therefore they get eternal damnation forever and ever. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name, the proper appropriation of what your love looks like and how your affirming love literally causes me to respond by running away from sin, running away from temptation instead of running into the arms. And when I'm tricked and, I, and, I, and my flesh draws me back in, I run back to you and repent and you take me like you always take me as the precious son, the beloved one, the one in whom you're well pleased. God, may men and women in this congregation grasp this. And may we never be the same. May it liberate us. Lord, your word says it's your grace that taught me to say no to sin. Grace is not a license for me to go run chase after wickedness. Your love comes in my heart. I become affirmed by my daddy and all that other junk is just stupidity and I don't want it anymore. May that transpire in lives today. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place today and you're not a Christian, you know that you know that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. In fact, I want you to imagine with me that you're finished service. You jump in your vehicle and you're heading out to get some lunch or heading home wherever you're at. And you come up to that intersection up the road. and The light turns green and you go to go. And all of a sudden, an 18-wheeler from the opposite direction runs the red light, slides on all the wet roads and T-bones the side of your vehicle. You're immediately killed and you stand in front of Jesus. There'll be no lies. There'll be no manipulations. There will be nothing but truth. And he looks deep into your eyes. What will he say? He say, well done. I love you, my beloved. Will he say that? And you say, oh, but Jesus, I, want, you know, I kept messing. I know, but you're mine. You gave yourself to me. Or will he look at you and say, bro, girlfriend, you kept pushing me away. I took that little short preacher. He was spitting and dancing and throwing his arms all around just to get your attention. You still pushed me away. Friend, don't push the way of the Lord today. If you're not right with the Lord, this is your moment. Let that everlasting love take over your life. Let the Creator who knows you, who made you, have access to you. Today, would you humble yourself and say, Yes, it's me, Pastor. I need the Lord. I want to pray with anyone who says, That's me. It's me, Pastor. I'm away from God. Maybe you used to be a Christian, you walked away. Maybe you call yourself separated or divorced. Listen, he longs for you back. He wants you because he loves you with an everlasting love. Maybe you never knew that God loves you. Maybe you thought it was all religious duties and for the first time you're hearing truth and you now want that. I'll tell you today, I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. I want you to have an opportunity to make a private decision, a real love decision to serve the Lord and make him the Lord of your life. With no one looking around, I want to pray for you. If that's you, you say, Pastor, you're speaking to me. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to walk away from my old way of living. I want to be a Christian. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? I won't embarrass you. I won't call you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. Thank you. I see you. Just give you a couple more seconds. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Put it up. Put it back down. This is for, I know it's a public environment, but you need a private moment. And we won't make it public. This is you and Jesus. Father, we thank you right now. Now put your hands down. Now here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. Right there where you stand, 
and the purity of who you are and the sincerity of what you've been walking through and what your life looks like, I want you to call upon the Lord. I know that you may not be real comfortable with that, so I'll lead you in it. It's a prayer that you can repeat. If you'll repeat this, mean it with all of your heart. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'd like to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, really mean it. Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I ask you now to forgive me. I accept your forgiveness. I accept what you did on the cross to cover my sin. And here and now, I declare in front of everybody, Jesus is my Lord. Write my name. In your book of life, I promise to serve you for all of my days. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I am yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those who lifted their hands. I know the courage it took to be honest with themselves. I know the fear that they had to face that maybe that preacher may make an example of them. But Father, I thank you, Lord God, that they blew past all of that because they wanted the love, the love that you talk about, the love that we preached about today, the everlasting love. Now I pray right now the peace of God would just wash over them. But they don't have to perform. They don't have to be good or bad. That they just keep falling in love with you every day. Learning your love. Understanding your love. Lord some of us are scared of that love because we don't know what it really looks like. We, we had bad examples on this planet because of human frailty. But God we ask you to show it to us. Now Lord let your grace and mercy wash over in a fresh new way. Fill these guys with your Holy Spirit. Give them power to overcome. And Lord God, may they never be the same. And as they walk out of this place today, may they hold their head up and their shoulders back knowing that I'm a part of God and God's a part of me and that no weapon formed against me can prosper. We call these things as so in Jesus' name. Everybody shout it, amen.